The full force of Cyclone Hale's environmental damage is continuing to be felt and many are now grappling with a long, slow cleanup process and that includes forestry slash. Storm damage in Tolaga Bay in 2018 from slash or leftover forestry debris after harvests led to five companies being prosecuted and fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the Environmental Defence Society is now calling for a commission of inquiry into the issue. With us is Chief Executive Gary Taylor. Welcome, Gary. Cool. Now, there has been massive inundation, hasn't there, of private property by slash and debris from upstream forestry land carrying all that slash away. You see the images it must take weeks, if not months. Yes, and it kind of exemplifies what's wrong with forestry practices in, in Aotearoa New Zealand, where uh, this kind of thing can happen on a recurring basis, um, and not just in Tairafati, but to a lesser extent, but still to a significant extent in terms of environmental effects elsewhere around the country. So what we're saying is that we need to have a, a complete reset, particularly of the way we allow clear felling at harvest time of plantation forests and uh, get more in tune with the way other countries around the world handle forestry with, with less environmental damage. So you're saying that other countries can do this type of forestry or exotic forestry without the significant and ongoing effects of slash, this, 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 this debris that clogs up the rivers, breaks the bridges and homes. Yes, and it's not just slash, it's also sediment. Um, right. You know, great slugs of sediment from these huge swathes of uh, land that are cleared, that's cleared through, um, uh, you know, clear felling um, operations. Um, in other parts of the world, uh, they, they do uh, commercial forestry through what's called a continuous cover harvesting approach or coop harvesting, where you do a small area at once and so you don't get uh-huh. you know, such a massive scale of, uh, of environmental destruction occurring. You, you, you sequence it over time and you don't have a single age class of, um, of trees that all have to be felled at the same time. That's quite a significant um, difference in practice, isn't it? Surely that would be looked at here? Well, you would hope so, but at the moment it's not being looked at. I mean, we've got a review currently underway of the regulatory settings for plantation forestry, but that's very limited in scope, uh, looking at um, carbon forestry only, not looking at the overall performance of harvesting and and planting of um, commercial forests um, and we also have a um, an industry transformation plan that the government's got underway which is looking at the future of the sector but that's the membership of that advisory group uh, for the industry transformation plan consists of largely uh, the uh, representatives of the forestry companies so they're not going to vote for for an early Christmas are they? Okay uh, shall we start with David on this? So in terms of the clean-up, are the forestry companies on the hook for it? Have they got to pay for it? Well, this is something that I think needs to uh, be clearer in the law. 
um, the, the the question or, or the argument that they will make is that this is um, uh, historical uh, debris that's been left, uh, you know, through previous harvesting operations, and will try to wriggle their way out of it. Uh, we think that you know the polluter should pay, and uh, the sector needs to uh, step in and uh, you know fund a proper clean up, and that will be a massive an expensive exercise, but it shouldn't fall on individual landowners or on, you know, the the, um, the the local council or the government. It should be, it should be polluter pays in our view. Well, just on that, uh, and it's a good question actually, who for the bill? But the they also say the forestry council. The head says, look. Uh, the inquiry would need to look if there was one at the broader picture. You know, the history of the site, the floodplains and the effects of climate change, and why are there houses on floodplains? That's not that's a fair point. Well, I think I think the point is that, uh, and you guys were discussing this earlier in the program. Climate change is uh, is causing a shift in everything, really, and we're going to get more extreme weather events more frequently. Uh, and, and elsewhere around the country as well. We're doing work in Marlborough, Tasman at the moment, uh, preparing some proceedings uh, for the Environment Court um, regarding forestry operations there where, you know, sediment basically runs off and smothers the, uh, the, the coastal environment, destroys shellfish beds. We saw the terrible sight of, uh, of crayfish, um, you know, washed up on the beach at Tolaga Bay. Uh, that have been uh, destroyed by this pollution. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, we need a wider look at how forestry in New Zealand is uh, undertaken, at what the rules are, what the policy settings are, and that needs to be broader than the East Coast hierarchy uh, situation. So to that extent, if that's what uh, Forest Owners Association are saying, I'd agree. It needs to be a wide-ranging look at um, at how we could develop better policy for the future. I think this is going to be a bigger issue, actually, in the weeks to come, because uh, needless to say, you can't have this massive event occurring time after time. What with the significant clean-up costs involved, and again, who should foot that bill? Cass. Yeah, I just think that story um, about you know cleaning up the sea creatures who had been had essentially been suffocated by the slash was heartbreaking actually. But I just when I read that they were calling calling for a commission of inquiry, I just don't understand why we need to go to those lengths. Surely we've got processes in place. I mean, we give farmers such a hard time about things. If you're chopping down trees and leaving a mess, surely they have to clean it up. And if and if and don't we have officials who go and check afterwards that that's happened, or is that am I just being too simplistic about this? No, no, I think that's fair. And 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 the comparison with uh, you know the the obligations we put on farming is 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 quite relevant. I mean, farmers now need to prepare farm environment plans that show how they're going to manage sediment runoff from their properties, but we still haven't extended that into the forest sector. My problem with uh, the existing agencies is that they've essentially uh, have provided oversight uh, of what's been happening and haven't done anything significant about it. The review of the National Environmental Standards for Plantation Forestry that's underway has got a narrow terms of reference, doesn't go to environmental performance, 
doesn't ask the question whether uh, clear felling should still be permitted, and that's why we're saying this needs to. Uh, we need a an independent okay. uh, inquiry. But so just I finally, Gary, all of this. is 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 this not being looked at uh, under a, a review of the national environmental standards for plantation forestry? This is already being looked at. No, it's not. As I was just saying, the terms of reference for that inquiry are far too narrow. We've asked for them to be broadened. The government hasn't done that. And that's why we're asking the Minister of Forestry, um, Stuart Nash, to have another think about all this. Watch the space. Very interesting topic, uh, Gary Kiora. Thank you for your time. That's uh, Gary Taylor. He's the Chief Executive of the Environmental Defence Society, and they are calling for a commission of inquiry into the issue of um, forestry slash. And you'd all seen those images of gosh, massive uh, debris piling up against bridges and such like. Huh? It's 10 to 5. Uh, you on the panel, RNZ National. Very nice to be back with you from this afternoon. And I am joined by David Cormack and Cass Carter with me. Now, here's something that caught my eye. Census collectors will this year carry panic alarms. It's a safety measure when visiting homes. 3,000 workers will be door knocking from the end of January this year through to April. The New Zealand Herald understands the new safety measure is in anticipation of huge anti-government sentiment. To discuss, we have Professor Paul Spoonley, Chair of the Centre of Research Excellence for Prevention and Countering Violent Extremism. Uh, Professor Spoonley, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Uh, pretty, pretty concerning development, uh, Professor Spoonley, that here's something that we've done many years and now... Um, <laughs> Collectors may well need to carry panic alarms. Yes, it is very concerning, and um, I, I, I think we need to make sure that those collectors are going to be protected. Um, my, my sense, Wallace, is that uh, things took a, a, a nasty turn during early last year, and we began to see that anti-government sentiment growing. And so we had a first test run, I guess, with the local body elections. But the two tests this year will be the census collection, which, as you said, has a lot more people on the ground collecting door-to-door, and, of course, the election. And I guess it also coincides March, isn't it, where you'll have, I suppose, the uh, one-year anniversary of the protests in Wellington. So that will be uh, reignited to some extent. Um, yes, it will be, and, and I think I think what we're seeing online and in terms of some groups in some communities, their antagonism towards the government, it's what the Financial Times called the politics of vitriol, the antagonism towards the government is very, very profound, and I thought it might, as the COVID measures receded, might have mm. eased, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to, unfortunately. Cass? Hi, Paul. Nice to hear Hi, from you. Yes, yes. hello. Um, hey, Paul, this is this is obviously much bigger than the census, isn't it? I mean, I've just been travelling around some of the regions over the Christmas break, and um, I've, I knew there was anti-government sentiment, but I was quite gobsmacked with how vitriolic people are and the rabbit holes they've gone down. I, I just, I, I wonder... Though, with the people for the census, they're, they're being employed, obviously, casually to do this work. Do people seriously think they are representative of the government? I mean, they, are they really seriously at risk? Well, if you, if you saw that uh, those rabbit holes, as you described them, Kaz, 
what you will notice is that anything the government does is seen as being suspicious and part of a bigger agenda and quite often a conspiratorial agenda and quite often involving, you know, there's, there's a high degree of anti-Semitism now in New Zealand. I mean, I've been studying anti-Semitism here for 40 years and I've never seen it as extensive as it is at the moment. So I, I just think it's, it's become part of our political culture and I'm not sure how we get beyond it, how we talk to one another. And I, I just do think that those rabbit holes are pretty deep and uh, people have gone down them and are stuck down them. Mm. David. So uh, in one of the earlier breaks, Cass and I were talking about how in the early 90s, uh, the big problem was the hole in the ozone layer and that the world collectively went, CFCs is doing this, let's stop using CFCs. And everyone actually pulled together and did it. And so it feels like in the last 30 years that this polarisation seems to have occurred with people who have gone down rabbit holes. And I have some theories as to why, uh, but I don't have any solutions as to how to fix it. And so I think it's just a really tragic sign of the times that we no longer seem to be able to pull together and stop using CFCs. Well, on the side of the times, Paul, have you yeah. seen anything like this in your professional career, this level of, um, what do you call it, vitriol? Paula Penfold vitriol. Did, well, did an extraordinary vitriol. piece about this, the, 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 the civic discourse, uh, the toxicity aimed at her was something else. It, it was. No, I haven't. And I, I was part of the team that wrote the cabinet paper on social cohesion in 2006. And one of the things we did not anticipate was the rise and rise of what the online world would do. So that's one thing. And I think the other is the growing American influence, the QAnon influence on New Zealand. So, so why, we, why we would be interested in Trump or, quote, stolen elections in the US, I'm not sure. But people here do believe it, and therefore they believe that the New Zealand government is equally culpable and, needs, and equally um, to be treated with suspicion. So I've never seen this level of community distrust of government, low trust in government. Right. Speaking now, to his point David, around um, anti-Semitism, I'm Jewish and I can testify to the hmm. fact that I have uh, certainly had an uptick in abusive messages uh, sent to me on social media yeah. just by virtue of being Jewish and I've, I've yeah. never witnessed anything like it, particularly in New Zealand. So it certainly is going up. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, David. Oh, thank you, Paul. You don't need to apologise unless it's you sending me the messages. No, 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 it won't be. No, it won't be. <laughs> so on the issue of census, that the, 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 the first call of Professor Spoonley will be that they're safe. Um, they will have what, what, what practically they'll have a, a, an onboard panic alarm, that type of thing. Yeah, they've got, a, they've got a panic button that they can press and that they will get help. The Stats New Zealand started talking to the government about this in advisories in October last year and said that there was a, a very strong um, level of antagonism and suspicion. And so they've spent about 100000 trying to build uh, support for and trust in the census, but I'm really not convinced that they've done enough. And so it will be, you know, that census person will be representing the government in a very real sense on your doorstep. And so they, they do need those uh, safety measures. It hasn't always been safe, just, just to throw this out there. Yeah. About 30 years ago, my mother mm. was this. She did the census gig, got bit by a dog. Terrible mm. injury. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yes. there's always been dogs. No, no, no there's <laughs> always the dog. No, no, you're right, David. And, and remember the wizard. You know, remember there are Yeah, he used to go offshore, didn't he? Yeah, he did go offshore. But, but we're now talking about significantly increased numbers, I think. And so I think it's the, the, the possibility that you're putting census collectors 
in direct danger by sending them into some communities and to some households. And oh. so, yes, um, safety's got to be oh. paramount. Will you be able okay. to attract anyone to this job? <laughs> <laughs> Not, not after we've spoken today. No, yeah. you're not selling it. <laughs> hey, Paul, thanks for your, <laughs> thank you for your time. Kia ora, I appreciate thanks. it. That's Professor Paul Spooner there. Now, finally, let's go to this. Uh, the first show of the year, and for many, well, it's also their first week back at work. You'd be forgiven for being, well, you know, a little bit sad. Some, not me, loving it. Absolutely delighted to be here. But how does one beat the first week funk? Kerry Kerry Life Coach Maria Quayle Guppy from Reset Mindset is with us. Maria, welcome. Well, thank you very much, David. How Pleasure. Are you Sounds like you're having a good day. It's finally <laughs> happened. <laughs> David's got his wish. He wants to be the host of the show, and uh, you've just called me David. I'm Wallace, but you know, we're, Hi, we're, all, we're all together here. So, <laughs> what, what do you recommend? Because it is a thing, isn't it? There's a little bit of, I'm being honest, a bit of blues coming back when you've had such a good time, despite the weather. Oh, of course, of course, Wallace. It's. Um, it's always hard to go back and you kind of have a, a little sadness, and not a depression, but people can feel quite low when they're going back to work, particularly if we've had this funny, funky weather and yep. people's expectations haven't been met, that they you know, were really looking forward to their summer break and then maybe things have looked a little different for them. Cass, you wanted to talk about this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just wondered if this year was even worse. Well, mm. one, for a lot of people in the north yeah. had lousy weather, um, so haven't actually had that break and will be grumpy. But also, you know, we, we, we're not looking forward to a great year, really, in, in many respects, because, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, the cost of living going up. You know, a lot of people who are on their fixed-term loans will finish and they're going to be hit oh, with a yes. bigger mortgage. We've got COVID that, even though it's not on the headlines anymore, is still blasting us. Um, and then what's looking like to be a pretty ugly election. So what have we got to look forward to? How do you get over that? Yeah, I, I know. And that's the thing, Cass. I think it's important to, if we're breaking things down into little micro things, that if we're staying in our own lane rather than sort of, okay, well, we're aware of these other things that are out there. And it's good to, you know, we have to be aware of um, the difficulties that we might be facing ahead. Um, but then I also think it's really important to sort of like, okay, I've got that. I know that there are potentially some difficult times ahead, but what can I do in my own lane that um, still keeps life um, balanced? And then that gives a feeling of hope. So I always direct clients to um, eight different areas of the... Oh, um, we're out of here, Maria. Thanks for the kind of advice.